0: Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Uh, I'm Brent Pasqua, host and founder of RPA Wealth Management. and Today we really have an excellent show. Today's show is the steps people should take if you're considering on retiring next year. and Whether you're planning on retiring next year or two years from now, I think it's important you really spend some time and listen closely. and If you're not driving, maybe you could take some notes. Uh, but I'm also here with Matthew Thiel, Certified Financial Planner, and Joshua Winterswike, Certified Financial Planner. It's been an anticipated show that we've kind of planned for, you know, as we kind of round out the end of what has been such a crazy 2020. With everything that's happened this year, if you're getting ready to retire next year, or, you know, or thinking now even closer about retiring, I think we have some good tips. Uh, but as we get kind of started with that, kind of curious on what your guys' thoughts are. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Hey, Brent. How are you doing today?
1: Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Getting ready for the holidays, you know, winding the year down. Um, great question. Um, I am, I I like Thanksgiving. It's fun. You get to watch football, obviously. Uh, you know, maybe you put a little side wager on some of the games to make them more exciting. Um, usually a couple beers, maybe good wine, whatever. Um, but my favorite is the mashed potatoes and gravy. I don't know what it is about that homemade turkey gravy, but I mean, as long as it's not coming out of a can and it's made with the drippings, it is so good. Is that what you're always going back for seconds? For? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Like my plate is, um, you know, a third mashed potatoes and gravy. Those pillowy mounds of mashed potatoes. Y- yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're and you're not like a carb guy, so you're, like you're you're omitting the roll. You're just going for the mashed potatoes. Yeah, well, as I've got older, it's more of the breads I try and stay away from. Like I see no reason to have a dinner roll. Yeah, like that's just wasted calories. But I mean, the potatoes are okay. You know, they come from the ground. They're at least natural. What about you, Josh? Um, I'm a big guy on the sides,
2: too. I'm not as excited about, like, the turkey and the ham. I don't know why. I'm more, like, green bean casserole. Um, Like, my grandma makes these great deviled eggs. And, like, I'm just ready to, like, smash on all of the sides that are there. Like, yams, uh, mushrooms, all of the different fixings that go with it. Stuffing. Um, So, that's what I'm looking most forward
0: to. Is, Is there people that are really excited to eat turkey?
2: I don't know. You know what I actually like? The next day, yeah. if you take the turkey, put it in a corn tortilla and fry it as a taquito, get some avocados, make some guac, that's what, how I like my turkey the next day that I'm really excited for. Um, but I don't know, it Just it's not my favorite dish I'm looking forward to on Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, I, I would have to say my favorite is definitely green bean casserole. Love uh, it, uh, love yeah, it. That's my favorite side and if I'm going back for seconds of anything, it's, it's definitely going to be that, but my my plate looks mostly like Uh, sides and maybe just to not be rude having a little bit of the turkey yeah yeah that's how i am too
1: turkey's hard to cook i mean a lot of people um you know swing and miss or one year the turkey's really good and then other years it's it's not so great
0: but deep deep frying's become you know really popular and i think that's kind of stepped up the turkey game a little bit yeah i've never done that i would love to try it yeah all right well let's get into the hot tag headlines we have got we have a couple of really good headlines here COVID vaccines since our last podcast we have seen 3 COVID vaccine makers release positive news now it seems like a vaccine may be live in 2021 we had Moderna complete a more than 30 person trial in the US Pfizer completed more uh 43,000 person trial in the US and then AstraZeneca completed a 23,000 plus person trial in both Brazil and UK and so far the vaccine results have posted a 90% efficacy rate Studies were done on all different people, ages and races, and I was looking into the, the studies, and I don't believe anybody under 18 was actually tested, so it's every, people of all ages above 18, but distributions really should begin uh, for high-risk and healthcare workers sometime, hopefully, in December, and then to the general public, hopefully in January and February. What are your guys' thoughts on these new releases from the vaccine?
1: Yeah, I'll go first. It's great to see. Um... You know, science, technology, all—all all these companies and people working together to get this out um, to keep you know the high-risk people safe. Um, I'm not going to be one of those selfish people who's you know trying to cut to the front of the line. Let's save it for the people who are are at serious at risk of COVID. Um, the numbers say I am not at risk, so I will you know not be trying to cut in line. Right. But yeah, really, really great news. I'm um, I agree.
2: I think it's you know pretty amazing that how fast these vaccines and how well they're doing, you know, we're really not even a whole year into this pandemic. And we have three very promising looking vaccines that are going through these trials. So I think it's pretty amazing news. I think it's something to be very excited about. um, And congrats to these companies for developing them so quickly for us.
0: I feel like there's like three different groups of people here. There's the ones that are rushing out to go get it. And then there's the ones that are kind of little, let's wait and see what happens. And then there's the like anti-vaxxers who are like, I will never actually take a vaccine. It's kind of I'm curious to see how the data kind of plays out over time if cases really substantially drop. And then there's there's a lot riding on these vaccines. Yeah, absolutely. And then just how
2: fast the distribution is. I know they've talked about having things in place already, but how many they can produce and distribute and how that's all going to pan out. It's going to be an interesting, you know, few months.
0: I I just hope that people who deserve to get it first should, you know, those are essential workers who've been in the middle of this, this last nine months who have taken risk every day, who haven't had the luxury of working from home. I really hope those people, you know, if they want it, they can get it first. Right. Me too. Definitely. So the second headline, Tesla has been added to the S&P 500. Several stocks are actually added to the S&P 500 every year. But Tesla will be the largest company to ever be added. It is similar really to the additions of Berkshire Hathaway in 2010 and Yahoo in 1999. Tesla will automatically be one of the top 10 largest companies of the index. Its market value has just reached nearly $500 billion. And because of that, I think Elon Musk is a 20% shareholder. Has now surpassed Bill Gates as the second richest person in the world really what's your thought or take on Tesla getting added here cuz there was a lot of question whether or not they would get added
1: isn't it crazy that they weren't in it in the first place like is that kind of mind blowing like this is a company that's been you know really dominating in the last 10 years of stock market performance uh, one of the greatest american successes ever and it's not in the S&P 500 I and mean, that should blow everybody's mind i mean there was a lot of questions
0: on bankruptcy what like 2 or 3 years ago i mean is that could have
1: what prevented it yeah but i mean ge and ford are in the s&p 500 and i feel like they almost go bankrupt every other year <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> but but now they are they
2: have record profits from tesla but for a while i mean that's what we did talk about is that they didn't have any profits they weren't that's making true. money for a very long time and now they're finally you know quarter after quarter break, breaking you know their record profits so really cool to see though i think i think a lot of people can be excited about tesla i mean You know, and especially when we talk about indexing and and investing in the index now that you get exposure to Tesla. So for a lot of index investors, I think that's exciting news.
1: Yeah, great for index investors. Good one for them. What kind of pushed it over the edge? Because there was a lot of
0: talk from the S&P 500. I think it dropped the stock pretty tremendous in, I think, what, October, that they weren't going to get in. And all of a sudden, they did get in.
1: I don't I don't know what made them do it. I mean, maybe it's the, the fact that it's one of the top 10 largest companies in the world now. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really followed the um, story that closely. But honestly, if I was on a trivia show and you asked me if Tesla was in the S&P 500, I probably would have said yes. Right. Yeah, me too. All
0: right. So let's get in the retirement planning corner. Uh, I think obviously this is a critical aspect of if you're starting to really think about you know, I want to retire in the next year. I want to retire in the next two years, but I really don't know how to begin to prepare, uh, just with the initial steps of knowing. Even if I can retire, let's talk a little bit about what some of those beginning steps are and how, like, what can you do to actually start getting mentally prepared, financially prepared, so that you know that that can, you know, possibly take place. First thing that you're probably going to want to know is really how much money do you need, ongoing, monthly, annually to maintain your lifestyle. How do you sort of determine that?
2: That's a great question. I think it's extremely important if you're planning to retire in the next year, that you really take some time to lay out what your expenses have been, not only last year, but in the years prior, and bring some awareness to that spending. And we start with discretionary versus non-discretionary, or if you want to just make it simple, your wants versus your needs. So making sure we calculate how much you absolutely need to maintain that same lifestyle that you're living and then also how much money you need to you know on the extras so the splurge expenses the you know all of the other expenses that come with you retiring unless us just say it's upgrading a house or you need a new roof or you need a new car all of these expenses are going to add up as you enter this new phase of life you're going to have a lot of different wants So really, you know, sitting down and determining these expenses, laying them out and calculating them is, you know, just a really great first step um, to starting planning for, for that next stage of life.
0: So I guess then if you're breaking up wants and needs, needs would be your mortgage payment or your grocery bills, whereas some of your wants would be your luxuries or your things that you don't necessarily require
1: yeah absolutely Um, that's a good way of putting it Uh, needs is pretty much what you need to survive want is that stuff you could probably do without Um, let's throw some some examples for the want bucket Um, maybe your cable tv maybe that trip you're planning on going on that rv that motor home um, that's probably more in that want bucket than an an actual need Um, sorry people and then what else? Um, and even here's one that hurts a lot of retirees as well is, you know, helping those kids that are still kind of clinging on, right? Um, who may be in their 20s to 40s and, you know, kind of still come to mom and dad asking for help. Um, like that's a need. You don't have to, or a want, you don't have to pay for your kids anymore. They should be able to be sustainable. Yeah. I mean, that's a conversation that you need to maybe have with them that,
0: you know, retirement is going to be different than when, you had more income, and it's maybe time that that separation has to take place of being able to, to spend all that extra money monthly on, on that. What are some steps that people can take to get to that point to really determine what their expenses are? You know, the initial thought would be, you know, you print out your, your bank statement, you print out your credit card statement, but that sounds like a really tedious task. What are some options on how you kind of figure that out?
2: I think now technology has really helped a lot of people with tracking expenses, creating budgets and creating awareness to your spending. So there are a few softwares out there. The first one that comes to mind is like mint.com. It's free. You can link all of your accounts up there and it's going to track your budget and you know, you're going to have all of your transactions categorized. Matt, do you have any other um, recommendations on on tools you can use to help track expenses?
1: Yeah, people like uh, you need a budget. I'm not a fan, though, of all the different budgeting softwares. Um, I mean, they do a good job of categorizing your expenses right off the bat. But, you know, sticking with it for a long period of time is rather difficult with the way they're set up and designed. Um, Let me give you an example. So say, you know, you put a $500 eating out budget on your Mint. Well, you know, what happens when you spend more than $500? It it kind of splurges over, and then technically it doesn't take away from another category, which just isn't how money works. It's much, much easier to track your expenses and get an initial idea budget by just using an Excel and splitting your money, like Josh said, into your needs versus wants bucket. And then you lump all your wants into one big pile, meaning your wants should be you know, $1,000, $2,000 a month, and who cares what you spend it on? That's what you know you have to spend on, on your want purchases.
0: Yeah, see, I'm more in the, of, in the camp of you sync up to you need a budget or Mint or QuickBooks or Quicken, and you, you use one of those, and then you can create an Excel spreadsheet to give yourself the mental time to spend and going through and creating what your discretionaries and non-discretionaries are. I think it's kind of like a cross-reference of being able to sync everything up and see it rather quickly, but then also doing the exercise of doing an Excel spreadsheet to really calculate out and, and to be able to put things in categories yourself. You really get a good idea of what you're spending, and I think it creates mental awareness of what am I actually spending? Did I actually need that in the past, and am I going to need that in the future?
1: yeah that's a good point I mean on the Excel spreadsheets like don't make it complex what you need to do is you put your mortgage or rent payment if you have it you put your insurance costs um, you put your taxes you put all those expenses that you know you have to pay and then you look and see what's left okay well you know maybe with my social security and you know withdrawals or whatever I'm getting you know five six grand after I pay all my expenses I have two to three grand left okay well that's your that's your want
2: bucket. Two things that, that stand out to me, too, is, like you said, making it more simple because there's no substitute of the effort of actually tracking it and budgeting. Like, you're, whether if you're using software and Excel spreadsheet, there's still that human element that you have to stay on top of it. And making it easier will lead you to be more likely to continue to track it and do a good job and, and stay on top of it. So I do, you know, kind of agree with you guys both um, in that sense, but making it really easy and then kind of my second point that i think of too is being really honest with those wants and needs yeah like you know they're That extra dinner you could think is a want because you need to eat, but could you have you know spent more money at the grocery store which have been cheaper, right? Right. Um, Or that extra dinner, even like you talked about Matt with kids, that's helping them out by paying for their dinner, right? So, um, just be really, really honest with those wants and needs um, when you're when you
0: are calculating that, regardless of which way you're doing it. I think that's a great point because I think what you also need to be honest with too is what's going to make you happy and live a, a really good lifestyle in retirement because. You don't want to create a budget that is so skimmed out of the things that you actually enjoy that you're just trying to get retired that you're not going to be able to do those things either. Right. No, totally. And, you know, the, I, I think my feeling is, is that really this has to be the initial step. Like you literally probably can't retire unless you know the answer to this question. Oh, totally. You, you have to know how much you're spending. That's, that's step number one. Figure out how much you're spending. And know if, you know, your income is going to be sufficient enough to to support it. And the last question I have on this before we move on is, is just really like, how do you make sure you aren't leaving out any really important expenses that you may not know of right now, whether they're medical or anything else to be prepared? You know, I don't know what's to come in the future.
1: That's why you got to have an emergency fund. We always talk about it. Um, you know, when I broke into the industry, I just saw a lot of retirees who are just, you know, had their IRA set up. That's it. They didn't have any cash set aside. They're just living, you know, off those social security checks and the um, IRA withdrawals. I mean, that's the generation now. They're probably in their 80s or 90s. Um, but I, I will say, you know, the boomer generation has done a much better job at, you know, having cash in a savings account that's for emergency purchase, purchases, like you're talking about.
0: I, I think those are such great points and, and things to spend time on. And, and I'll tell you, spending your t- time on expenses is going to be a lot less hours than it takes you to work. So when you're retired, spend, continue to take that time to work on that. Yeah, great point. The second step, I think, when you're starting to re- look towards retirement in the next year or two, are really starting to determine what your income sources are going to be. What, I guess, are some of those examples of what the income sources are going to be?
1: yeah, so most people are gonna um, in this country are gonna have a, f- a, f- a few fixed retirement sources. The first mainly is gonna be social Security, or you're gonna have a government pension if you don't have social security. If you didn't qualify for Social Security, that means you probably didn't work or um, you are from another country, which in-, in that case probably makes this a mute point. but you know, for ninety nine percent of the people listening to this podcast, your your main source of fixed retirement income is going to be social Security. After that, you know, maybe if you worked for a corporation that had a pension, there's quite a few people who are in their 50s and 60s who have a corporate pension still, um, whether they work for, a, you know, a car company or an engineering company, aerospace, those, those places all had pensions in the 80s and 90s. Um, so that's something. And then you have your portfolio withdrawals. Those are the three main sources, right? So your 401k, your IRAs, 403Bs, whatever you have. Um, And then on top of that, maybe there's part-time income coming in if you're going to continue to work or even um, from rentals. That's another source of retiree income. But those are really the five main sources. So I guess,
0: how do you become even more prepared to figure out what the amounts are you're going to receive from these sources? I think... The first step, like Matt said,
2: Social Security is probably going to be your, your largest fixed income. So if you haven't received your Social Security report recently, logging on to ssa.gov, we've talked about that website in the past, to downloading that report that's going to tell you how much Social Security you're going to get, it's going to detail you know, how much you would receive if you were to collect Social Security at 62, um, at your full retirement age, whatever that's going to be, and then also at 70. And so this will give you a better idea of what you're actually going to get monthly from Social Security, and you know that's probably the the first step. Then, if you also have a pension, now's a good time if you're planning to retire to request those pension estimates. So, getting with your employer, whoever the department is that handles the benefits, and actually requesting you know how much you would receive if you were to retire next year. If you haven't done that, that's also very important. And then creating you know a balance sheet, so going over all of the accounts that you have that are deemed for retirement or investments, um, and laying out your liabilities. So that way, you know what that nest egg actually is. So Matt talked about portfolio withdrawals for income. Well, we first got to know of how much money is in the portfolio. And so if you have a couple different 401ks or IRAs or Roth IRAs, making sure that we're putting all of that data together to knowing exactly how much you actually have to pull from.
1: Real quick on the pension strategies. If you have a corporate pension, they're most likely going to give you a juicy offer that is going to be in the form of a lump sum they want to bet that you are that paying you out is better than paying you over your life and it's becoming really really popular and since i've started with interest rates going lower those pension payouts are getting a lot better in the lump sum form um, so that's something to look at um, and one reason why you're going to want to most likely contact a professional if you have a corporate pension and they're offering you a lump sum because there's detailed calculations that go into whether or not you should take that option.
0: I think that is such a critical point right now because when we've been recently looking at clients' lump sum offers on these pension plans, our recommendation over the last several years prior to this year has usually always been collect the monthly pension with guaranteed income, but rates have changed, and now it's really changing it and making it even more difficult to figure out, and that lump sum looks attractive, but that doesn't mean that's always the best decision for you there's risk in taking that lump sum. Income that's giving you guaranteed income for life is is very beneficial. That really should be looked at very cal- calculated and carefully.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. But with the climate changing, with, with interest rates low, I think it just puts more emphasis on doing your research and analysis on that decision going forward if you're going to retire, um, you know, for anyone that has that, that corporate pension.
0: And I think what that also does is brings up another challenge, right, which is you know, let's say you retire at 61, you can't collect Social Security till 62. So you're going to have a break in income. And then maybe you're not planning on collecting your pension till 64. So you have all these different staggering times where income would start versus stop and your your work income stops. How do you sort of plan for these gaps in potential incomes and this change sort of in cash flow? Because some years you're going to require more withdrawals from your portfolio versus others. How do you kind of prepare for that?
1: Well, if you're not you know, reaching out and hiring a financial planner um, to do it for you, then you're probably, only other option is to use an Excel sheet and do it year by year, right? And, and target out these income sources and write the amounts you're going to need. Because you're right, and especially in, the, in your 60s, your retirement income is going to be very lumpy. It's not going to be the same every year. It's going to be coming from different sources. It's not as straightforward as it'll be in your 70s and 80s. How do we do
0: it? when we build it into a plan and a, a client can visually actually see those? Yeah,
2: great question. Um, whenever we're building a plan, we create what's called a, a cash flow statement or a cash flow report for the client that's actually going to detail when incomes do start and stop. So that starts with your salary and if you're receiving any bonus or any other compensation while you're working. And then it shows you in transition. So that let's say next year you're retiring, for example. It'll show your salary stopping, what your estimated income is going to be from, let's say, your Social Security, your pension, and how much we're project- projected to take from your, let's say, your investment portfolio. So year by year, over the next, let's say, 25, 30 years, you can see all of the different changes in income projected in your life. And in that way, we're not, we don't, we're not guessing of what your income is going to be in year 2021 or 2024. We can actually visually and calculate how much that income is going to be the way that way we're more prepared for, you know, the rest of your retirement.
0: And I think also what is critical with those with social security and pensions is, you know, if you say, well, I don't know if I should take it at 63 versus 64, we could do a cross comparison and what the withdrawals would look like versus one versus the other, getting a higher benefit. There's just so many benefits to being able to see that number and numbers really don't lie.
2: Yeah, they don't. And then also, like you just said, visually, like a lot of us are visual. I'm a visual learner in a lot of ways. So being able to see it, will just help also make those difficult decisions like you were talking about, like when should I be collecting these incomes and at what
0: time. And how should people kind of prepare for what their withdrawal strategy may be from these investments in years where income is starting or stopping and so forth?
1: Um, That's a great question. You're going to want to do a comparison on your tax rates. You should hopefully, like we're saying, have some money set aside in savings so that would be money you've already paid taxes on. But in addition, you're going to have your retirement funds, which is you know, usually taxable unless it's in a Roth. If it's taxable, it's taxed at ordinary income rates, and then you've got to play with the tax brackets and find out you know, how much you could pull from each bucket before hitting the, new, the next bracket and getting taxed more. Yeah,
0: it, it, just, it seems like this is a, another area that is so important along with expenses, just knowing where your incomes and withdrawals are going to be and where the sources are going to be and what the taxation is going to be, and just really know what you're going to have coming in monthly. Uh, the next question and last one here on the list, step number three would be is uh, what is your plan for your 401k or your IRA qualified account? What are some of your options you have with that? You've been saving a long time in those accounts. What should you actually do?
2: I think that there, there's a, a couple of just really key questions you have to ask yourself when we're looking at these investment accounts and, and your retirement accounts. And one is, is are you going to leave it at the employer, what we call the custodian? Or are you going to roll it over into, let's say, your IRA? That's one big question you have to answer. Do you want it professionally managed or are you going to manage it yourself? Um, Another one is also really important, your allocation to stocks and bonds. Like what is going to be that allocation? Have you answered that question or have you looked into it? And then also within the accounts, are you going to use mutual funds or ETFs? What is also going to be, we just talked about it, what's going to be your withdrawal strategy? And should we be doing any sort of tax strategy like a Roth conversion too before you retire, before you roll it over? And do you have any other company stock? I mean, there's all of these questions that need to be answered before we actually make that final decision on what you're going to do with these retirement accounts.
0: Like, If you are getting ready to retire, and a majority of your money is in your 401k plan, and you call the Custodian or the 401k plan, and say, you know, I'm looking at retiring. Should you just roll your money over with them or into their IRA, or if they suggest leave it there, is that, is that a feasible option?
1: Yeah, it depends. It depends on the situation, it depends who the company is. Um, if it's one of the more reputable ones, I'd consider it. Most of the time, though, what we see with these 401ks is, you know, it's a, especially if you're with a small or mid sized employer, it's not that great of a plan. So, it is going to be more beneficial for you to roll it over to a bigger custodian like a Charles Schwab or Fidelity. Um, they're really the only two that are left in the game. But really, it's a, it's a fee comparison. Like Josh said, are you going to manage this yourself or do you want to hire someone to manage it? You know, we have a, a job and we're in business because people hire us to manage money for them. And there's a reason they do it, and it's because they want peace of mind in retirement. They don't want to be worrying about the ups and the downs of the stock market. They don't want to be glued to CNBC actively managing their retirement portfolio. They want to go out and actually enjoy their retirement.
0: Yeah, and if you start looking at sort of like a three-point process that we've kind of created today to see if you could retire, in which there's so many other aspects to doing financial planning, but you start to look at this three-point process. Income, expenses, withdrawals, what you have coming in, what you have going out, and what you're going to need from your savings account or your investment accounts. And then what you're going to need from those investment accounts is going to really determine should you be how much in stock and bonds versus mutual funds and ETFs, and should you leave it at the custodian, and should you have it professionally managed, should you do it yourself, and should you do Roth conversions. and you know we, we do a whole presentation on withdrawal strategies, and you can start to really get a good idea of, based on the amount of money you have, how much you're going to need and how much you're going to be able to take from those portfolios. I mean, if you start to look at and you say, okay, well, I don't know how to answer those last questions by myself, but you want to pick an advisor and who, you know, you want, you want to just know you're going to the right advisor. Like where would you actually look? Cause if I wasn't in the industry, I wouldn't know where to look. I'd probably go to my bank. I mean, that would be my initial thought or somewhere I see on a commercial on TV or
2: ask your neighbor.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, ask a family friend or a family member, but I wouldn't really know really where to go. What would, you know, you guys work in the industry. Where would you go?
1: I mean, I just a little joke. I mean, you could ask the person at your Thanksgiving dinner, "What's the nicest car?" What they do? right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no joke. That's just a joke. Uh, I I would do some internet research. Uh, but what you're gonna, what you should ultimately come across is, you know, how is your advisor getting paid? Are they making a commission from a company, or are you paying the advisor? I just have gone through the process of purchasing a home it's almost done we're getting signatures done in the next couple days i tell you what i would rather pay everyone flat fee than this whole commission thing because it's really hard to tell who has my best interest um so i would personally look for an advisor who you could pay a flat fee to and that does not charge commission because you know they are going to be incentivized to sell you the product that gives you the most commission There's a few different organizations I look into where advisors who don't charge commissions, you know, hang a shingle or do business with. Um, The best is NAPFA, N A P F A. There's also the Fee Only Network, um, and those are two sources for fee-only advisors who don't accept commissions, who charge flat fees for you to work with.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, we have episodes that we've talked a lot about working with fee-only advisors, and it's truly the only fiduciary standard in the industry, you know, because there's no conflict of interest. We don't make any commissions or compensation from the back end. I mean, it is just true, straightforward. The clients compensate you to do a job. I, I think for me, and you could tell me, you know, if you would be different, Josh, I have found myself now, as I've gotten older, going to more of these representation designation areas of other industries. If I need a doctor or if I need any other type of professional, I'm usually going to these boards to find out who's really certified, who doesn't have complaints, who's done a good job. You know, that's where I want my verification from.
2: Yeah, and I agree. I think it's you know, whenever we're researching, even if it's things we need for our, our business, right? I mean, we're looking at um, hiring someone that does have our best interest, and that starts with you know, is it experience? Is it designation? Is it you know, are they helping people? They have good reviews out there, and, and doing all of that research. And like Matt said, a couple of those associations, if you are looking for an advisor, are really, really helpful because they give you all of that information about the person and their designations and everything else. So I definitely agree, you know that research is just going to help you even more. Having someone on your team that has your best interests is just truly important. And I just think when we're always talking about this topic is when that question gets brought up of like how just asking your advisor how they get paid, if there's any sort of confusion or any sort of like you know, you can't understand the explanation. We know there's red flags there, right? And so just that one simple question can really help guide you on picking a right advisor if that's what you're looking for.
0: I think one thing that I think clarifies it and it should be helpful for a lot of people about like how how do I actually know that a fee only advisor is working in my best interest? Let me just make one point clear. If a fee only advisor wanted to make more money, they would just go work in a different part of the industry. They'd be a broker, they'd be an insurance agent, they would be an investment advisor that sells insurance. A fee-only advisor is the least compensated type of advisor in the industry because there's no commission. And commissions, just like in real estate or any other type of commission world, run wild. And so if you, why would you trust a fee-only advisor? Well, because if that advisor wanted to make more money, they would become a broker. They'd become an insurance agent. They would go do something else in the industry that they can make a ton more money on. Go check out the designations. I think those are just really great tips, and uh, I'm glad that we brought that up. All right, so let's get into the last part of the show. Uh, let's go into RPA Recommends. What do you have for us, there?
1: Um, So on Netflix, the new season of The Crown recently came out. You know, it's great. I'm, I'm a big Crown fan. If you haven't seen it, um, get caught up on it. It's really, it's really cool. It's well done. It's awesome to see. You know, the history of uh, the Queen of England, and she has had such a long rule, if you really think about it, going back to the, I believe she took over in the, the 1940s um, during the war and has been uh, in, in charge of the monarchy of the country ever since. This latest season, they're rolling out, it starts in the 80s, and Princess Diana gets introduced, so it's kind of cool because it's modern and, you know, we all can remember it. Um, so, fun season, highly recommend it. You started from season one on that show? Yes. Okay. So it's, a wor-
2: it's worth the watch since season one.
1: Uh, absolutely. I, mean, I like it. There's some slow parts. Um, I mean, my, my wife's family's from Britain. So, I mean, they, they love the monarchy. They love the queen. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun for her.
2: Awesome. Uh, I think I'm going to go Netflix too. I haven't actually finished the series, so I can't talk about the ending. And maybe next episode I will. But Queen's Gambit. Um, have you started that, Matt?
1: No, I haven't. It was between that and The Crown, and The Crown was hands down the one to start just because we're so invested in it already. Sure,
2: sure. Yeah, and I'm not done with it all, um, but that really good show. Um, and so it's another one on Netflix. Uh, shout out to Netflix for you know, ha- giving us some good content through these quarantine days. But Queen's Gambit, good recommendation for a show if you're looking to start one. That's great. That's great.
0: My recommendation for this uh, holiday season would be to get a dumpster. <laughs> I I am all about getting rid of stuff, throwing stuff out. If you're not using it anymore, just get a dumpster. It should be on everybody's to-do list. Every six months, get a dumpster, get rid of as much stuff that you're not using as possible. Because what I had found myself doing over time is, you know, like you want to clean something out, but all you do is actually kind of organize it and clean it and you put everything back, but nothing ever really gets thrown out. You're just really shuffling stuff, right? You're just, you're not actually cleaning. You're organizing it but you're not actually like getting rid of things you want to get rid of stuff you're not using it chances are like goodwill doesn't want that stuff they're just going to throw it in the dumpster anyway if you're looking and being like oh i'm going to take this to Goodwill," there's probably a good chance that goodwill is just going to throw it out get yourself a dumpster over the holiday season before you put your christmas decorations back figure out what stuff you're going to use next year what you're not and anything else you don't need for the 2021 and let's go into this 2021 season just really kind of Starting fresh. It's been a tough year for everyone. I think it's a good year to get rid of a bunch of stuff.
2: You know, my, gr- my grandpa told me, um, you know, growing up, he said, if you don't touch like the item you're thinking about throwing away or the clothes or anything like that in over a year, to throw it away. And I was always like, admired like how neat his garage was and his house because he-, he lived by that. And that kind of goes along with what you're saying. So it's a good like rule in my mind. Like if I haven't touched it in a year, It's going out, whether I'm donating, giving away, whatever, but it needs to be gone.
0: Yeah. And I told Matt that as he gets into his new house, that if you're not using it or you don't, there's a question mark on whether you're going to use it or not. Chances are just get rid of it. Don't even bring it there because bringing it there just means it's going to get stacked up and you don't want to start like that.
1: Yeah. I'm actually really good at throwing stuff away. Uh, But your point goes to another point, Brent. It's a great one for the holiday season. Um, Buy people less stuff. Everybody, you know. We, we don't need a million gifts at Christmas. Give, give someone something that they really want and they're going to keep and they're not going to throw away in a year. Yeah, Com- simple. So. Completely agree. I love the RPA recommends today. All right, so as we kind of
0: finish off the show, you know, we just want to wish everyone a, a blessed and happy Thanksgiving. And you know, as advisors, we truly do, do love helping people and that's why we do it. Um, if you would like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation could also download our ebook on our website if you'd like more information on the show or the show notes please go to retirement as always we're thankful for our listeners we're thankful for our following and the people who reach out to us you know it's been a, a tough and crazy year but you know there's still so much to be thankful for and so happy thanksgiving everyone happy thanksgiving happy thanksgiving
1: RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor public disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A, from Brochure, and 2B, Brochure Supplement, to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.